0: When you're sad and blue and everything
1: is putting you down You know the world keeps spinning around You know you're not alone Yes, with MS, the world keeps spinning around, but you're not alone Welcome to the 10 Minutes for MS podcast In which we share information about MS Hello. One. welcome again to the 10 minutes for ms podcast season two i'm so glad to be back again with you guys and today we have an amazing amazing guest on our show and her name is really sweet like honey shahad ashwari shahad ashwari is from the middle east and she is a very very inspirational author i have myself read her book I have to show it to you right away. Head above water. And, oh my God, I was just taken aback while reading it. I'm not going to waste much time and going to introduce Dr. Shahid Ashwari right away. Hi, doctor. How are you?
0: Hello. Hi, Ritu. How are you? Thank you for having me. It's really exciting.
1: Absolutely. It's such an honor to have you here. And your journey with MS has been of course, full of struggles, but also inspirational for all the people around the world. Um, I have to just, you know, tell you that when I was going through your book, I felt like I'm there, right there watching it and watching your entire story, how you, you know, you're on bed, you're crawling on the floor and how you're reaching out to things. Oh my God, there were times when I, I actually had tears in my eyes and I was like, oh my God, oh my God, this is it. (laughs) It was really, um, I mean, I could just see a real picture in front of my eyes. So beautifully described and beautifully worded. And I love the description, how you have mentioned some of the things like randomness of the illness and unpredictability. And I'm gonna quote, a few sentences while speaking to you later. I mean, this this was really amazing. So congratulations to you for this book. Thank you. I'm um, so
0: happy Ritu, that, you, that, you, that you liked it and that you're able to see it. I think, you know, uh, the readers who can probably feel it the most are, are really the people who have lived with the same illness or actually with any kind of um, pain. So I'm so happy that you were able to see it, to visualize it
1: absolutely so MS is an invisible disability but there are so many other people who are disabled not having MS they all can relate to this today and especially how you have described the woman you know, dealing with disability it's amazing it's just mind-blowing so thank you once again for being here and thank you Trees, for sending this over to us it's such an honor to have you here on our show and um, talking about this book thank you so much so I know when you must be talking to a lot of people. They must be, the first question they must be asking you was, how was your MS journey? <laughs> but my question is going to be different to you today. And that is, Great. how do you see yourself today? Because for me, you are already role model. For all the people, these people with disability, for all the women around the world, you're already role model. So how do you see yourself today? How you were before MS when you were diagnosed and how you have evolved yourself?
0: I think that's a lovely question actually to thank you because uh, it's a different question. I haven't been asked that and um, it's something that I think um, everyone with uh, any sort of life changes, especially illness, and mm-hmm. something that comes so suddenly, especially like with MS, it's a, it's a very random and a, at a very young age. So um, we think I think a lot about mortality. We think about our bodies a bit more than abled-bodied people or people who have not been touched yet by illness. So um, I sometimes like to think that uh, my journey, you know, in life so far, uh, having been um, diagnosed with MS at a very young age, at 18, my first symptom was probably 15 or 16 or even 14. And it wasn't, you know, understood. I didn't understand my body. Doctors didn't. So looking back, I always think, You know, this has really changed my entire life narrative. Um, And it wasn't just the diagnosis, but also how I started thinking as a person. I started being able to understand more about how we live our lives, what really matters, um, connections, human connections, friendships, uh, family connections, and um, even even connections with random people on the internet. You know, connections like with someone like you, yourself or with the multiple sclerosis awareness community that I would have never had otherwise. I would have never spoken to older people, I would have never spoken to people across you know, different continents, different religions, different cultures, and having a MS actually connected me, or changed my entire life narrative, to, to kind of put me in this, in this place where I'm connected to so many different communities, so many different people, and I think it made me, you know, develop empathy that I did not have before as a teenager. I, was, I think I was a bit more of a rebellious teenager like most teenagers. You know, I didn't think about the body. I didn't think about, you know, what I eat, what I drink, what I, how I spend my energy, you know, how older people spend their energy, what matters in life. It was just, you know, fun all the time. And I think having MS at a very early age somehow changed the way I look at life. And um, I'm, you know, I, I don't want to say it and diminish the pain of MS and diminish the suffering and the intensity of having this, you know, different life, but it has had its blessings also. And I think it had changed my perspective. I think it made me more humble as a person um, when otherwise before MS. I don't think I was as humble. I was not humbled. I think with the illness coming, it humbled me. It it made me, you know, not just empathetic towards uh, others, but also towards myself. Uh, starting to understand, you know how vulnerable we are as as humans. Something that younger people don't think about, and I think able-bodied people don't really think about it. So um, in a a sense, I I think it's made me a better human being. And I'm constantly working also on my awareness of not just MS, but, you know, what it means to live in in different bodies, whether that's through race, um, sexuality, disability, religions, privileges, things that I never thought about before. I think MS was just a door. know it just opened that door to get me thinking about life in general and life could have passed by and i would have not paused and thought about anything i think i would have always been on the run
1: absolutely i am so happy to hear such a positive answer you know uh this is so true you know ms does open doors for you to look at and it's your perception you want to look at it in a negative way or positive way yes there can be negativity at the moment but at the end you know it's you how you accept your new self and you start loving yourself again and how you become positive and focus on your body and spreading positivity Around you, spreading awareness about around you—that's so beautiful. Thank you so much for this inspirational answer. <laughs> Actually, the way I said, you're already a role model, and your answer says it all. <laughs> Thank you. Too. Actually, I I learn a lot also from
0: you know uh, your work, and I learn a lot from uh, multiple courses, awareness posts. I share them with with everyone who doesn't really think about, you know, disability or MS. And you use humor too many times. And I think that's also something that we can learn to use in our lives, you know, even with our own selves, you know, humorous rather than, you know, being very, very upset. And of course the disease is upsetting and it's it's quite difficult to work with. But that dose of humor, you know, even as simple as an Instagram post that I see, it, it sometimes helps me accept the reality
1: a bit more. Absolutely. Yes, doctor. Thank you so much. This was the aim that I started this page 10 years back, you know, at firstly spreading positivity. So my catch line was MS spread positivity and happiness. Yes. So you have to spread positivity and you have to make people smile using humor or using whatever, just make them smile. Thank you so much for all your support. I really, really, really appreciate it. Thank you so much. So uh, coming back to your book, my favorite book. (laughs) So uh, you have expressed about feeling voiceless and struggle um, with your sense of identity. You have quoted in one of the chapters. I can say it's chapter two itself. You have written, I'll just read it out a little. Mirrors are tools that measure the depth of our skin and dark circles under my eyes became another way to remind me that I was aging faster than my friends. My eyes constantly looked tired, no matter how many hours I slept. I was continuously embarrassed by the number of comments I received about my lack of makeup my sleepy red eyes, and I began anticipating the comments before anyone ever said anything. This was very, very touchy for me. (laughs) So, yeah, this shows that how much, you know, you feel that your body is changing. Everything is changing and people are not supportive. They are there to give you comments about what's happening. How did you deal with a situation like that and do you think that everybody with disability at one point or the other does go through such a situation?
0: I think also for women, Ritu, that passage, um, I think, you know, men and women are, are likely to receive these comments. But with women, it's on a different level. Um, you know, speaking from my experience and uh, other women, too, you know, other friends of mine who, who do have um, different illnesses, actually. it It's always this expectation that, you know, we have to always look Perfect and good, and you have to be attractive and beautiful. And if if even even when we talk about age with ageism, you know, uh, older women are are not considered as attractive. And if you, if you look, it's 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 a lot of um, it's a lot of toxic culture really about what's expected of us. And mm-hmm. for some reason, these comments that I mention in the book, you know, they come from strangers Uh, they come from friends they come from family members from colleagues from different age groups Um, and and usually they come from uh, people who i haven't asked for you know their opinion or advice and and it sounds like it's caring but it's horribly invasive and uh, you know i i Started really struggling with this earlier in life. Um, having you know the passage you quoted, it, it's one of the more painful ones and intimate ones about you know the in the mirrors and so on. But even human beings in front of me became like mirrors. You know when they would say something that I didn't necessarily want to hear. You know you look so tired. Have you slept? Or you know you should try this vitamin. Or maybe if you'd go to the gym a bit more or some extra blusher might help. I have a brand that I can share with you. And all sorts of this unsolicited advice, I became very, very upset with it. And, you know, um, it's it's hard enough living with, with MS and still having to deal with the societal pressure it was incredibly difficult. I started writing about it. I, keep, I kept a blog for nearly 10 years in which I would write all of these you know, feelings and express all of this difficulty. Um, I found that it was almost pointless to get into a conversation with whoever was giving the advice because they didn't and couldn't understand. They, there was no effort to actually understand. There was always this sense of, let's fix this person or let's help. And it's quite unhelpful actually so um i always used to go to my mom with this because when i was younger i really didn't know what to make of it i was just constantly hurt by it and you know she would say things like um you can just tell them you know please i don't want to hear this advice i didn't have that bravery at that age and she would say things like you know a lot of people don't really know where the boundary is. They don't know how to set a boundary, and you need mm-hmm. to set that boundary for them. And I would say, yeah, but I'm shy to do it. Or some of these are older, you know, uh, faculty members or older colleagues. Mm-hmm. Our culture has this also seniority. Uh, Arab culture has that. So I was, uh, I think like uh, Asian culture in general, there's a sense of respect to 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 okay. elder members, and it can be quite hurtful and invasive. So, I don't think that I have found a way yet to deal with it. Uh, But I've started recently, just like about six months ago, actually, or a year, when people say things to me, uh, you know, I start saying, Yes, I know I look tired. It's a long story. And I don't know if you want to do this. So, and and usually people just are shocked with that answer. (laughs) Okay, okay. Well, okay, I hope you feel better. Thank you. And then it ends right. Rather than it continue <laughs> to a long, long, you know, ad- ad- column, advice column, really. So, yeah, that's where things are at.
1: Absolutely. So, so exactly. So, whenever people come and say that you are tired or you just have little vitamins, I'm like, yeah, okay, okay. As if I don't know. <laughs> of course, yeah. As if you're the only doctor. Seriously, people have opinions, but what I believe that two things teach them, you know, teach anybody, you know, to be sober or not to give these statements. One is the experience, for example, us, we have experience, we know what it is, we will, we might not see anything, you know, something that will hurt anyone or we can we can put ourselves in another person's shoes and see and gauge what to say or not the other thing according to me is the awareness yeah now yes awareness by awareness not 100% of the people will you know be subtle and not be giving uh, statements like that but at least 40% people 30% people will understand yeah. yeah that's the reason why awareness of disease, awareness of you know uh, how to treat people with disabilities or yeah. invisible diseases is Absolutely. very very important. That's why we say spread awareness as much as we can. So spreading awareness here. <laughs> so one more statement below that was yeah. that my aunts and uncles, Looked at me as though I was a liar. Yeah. Sometimes hesitate to label me as one. Girls lie all the time. One aunt had said, girls love the attention. <laughs> After reading all these statements, did you ever you know there was there ever a point wherein you blamed your own self? That really okay. yeah, I'm Why am I
0: like this?
1: Yeah, of course, I think
0: when I was younger, yes, uh, lack of not just um, awareness... But you know, lack of empathy, lack of self-love for oneself when we're younger and there's a lot of uh, confusion, especially when it comes to you know sudden illness or sudden disability like MS, y- you feel quite alone. There's a sense of isolation. and the voice of the collective is stronger. you know, the voice of a group is stronger. So not just one but two, but three. And you know different people all around, even in the media, on television, when you see disability, and you know, you see how it's portrayed—it's you know tragic or as a punishment. So there's a sense of does that represent me? And there's a disconnect. No, that's not what I want to be seen as. That's not what I—that's not who I think I am. There's a disconnect between that. And um, hearing you know comments like you know it can't be that bad, or you know G- girls like the attention, or you know even now with the memoir, you know with people saying you know why would you write about that? You know, why would you even want to write about you know a whole wow. book just about pain? And wow. you, I've had comments like, you know, I don't want to be seen as as that author. You know, I, I don't think I would want to be seen as that disabled author. All of this kind of, all of this, you know, um, difficulty. That society has, you know, with accepting civility, with accepting women who speak out about their bodies, about pain. It's, I think, really interesting. And now as an adult, um, I think I'm able to kind of understand it a bit more and not reflect, you know, on my own self as, you know, is that my fault? I think now I'm really aware that it's not about me. And I think younger, I used to question it. What can I do? To, to avoid these comments or what can i do to to not appear in that way again with awareness as you said with communities with reading with research with you know self awareness self love and and kind of you know even with friendship and support and all sorts of different uh, ways of of arriving at this at this at this understanding that the problem is actually society that it's, you know, really society that, that makes you feel all these things. And again, it's not one aunt or one person, one individual. It's it's a collective, really. It's it's a more general collective. Everywhere you look, you can't see, as you said, a, po- a more positive image or even a more neutral image of, of what MS looks like or what disability looks like. All we see is it's, it's tragic or... It's uh, dramatic, that's a lot of words that, of course, uh, women have gotten all across time. Women are labeled as crazy, as dramatic all across time. It's the very beginning of history and nobody wants to be labeled like that. Um, So I think that we're always in this in this kind of struggle to, to be seen as authentic, to be seen as, you know, validated that the pain is real and the experience is real. Um, It's not made into a a tragedy. It's not made into a drama for no reason. Um, And, you know, we are the best spokespeople about our own bodies, about illness, about whatever it is that we're feeling. So the lack of believing or, you know, this complete disbelief, especially, I think, with invisible disabilities and with MS, that's really that makes it way harder than the reality that 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 we have to, to live with. So again, society is disabling more than, you know, more than the actual bodily pain. And I think that I'm still kind of learning how to how to work through it.
1: Absolutely, you're right. It's a society. It's not just one uncle or one aunt it's the society and we have to, absolutely. So what difference do you see uh, between a disabled man and and a disabled woman being treated by the society? Because as I know, if you see a disabled person, the first thing you see is his disability. Yeah. But what kind of gender discrimination have you noticed? So disabled men, um, from what
0: I've seen and from my research, um, both personally and academically, disabled men have to struggle with a lot of toxic masculinity. So we tend to look at men, um, again, this is very stereotypical, but we look at them as super strong, capable of, you know, financially, physically supporting you. So with disability, that changes a little bit, at least for society. But they still yes. have opportunities. and um, They still um, sometimes um, have better marriage opportunities. Um, they have, you know, more likely to still maintain a job. Uh, with women, I think there's a double oppression. So uh, women have less marriage opportunities, less work opportunities, uh, less family support. A lot of times they're also hidden more hidden by the families, um, you know, from what, what I've seen, again, personally, there's a lot of stigma surrounding disabled yes. women. Um, with men, I think there is a bit more acceptance because he's still a man. So, again, it's a very stereotypical idea, but I think that there is a bit of privilege that comes with, uh, with of course, gender. So men have it, I think, a little bit easier doesn't mean they. It's very, it's very, very easy for them. Just a little bit easier, and I think disabled women are still looked at. Um, they're not. In, they're not looked at in the same way. We see disabled men in movies, for instance, and they tend to be very handsome mm. men. And you know, he's just in a wheelchair, but you don't see a lot of disabled women on screen or 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 anywhere really and still are looked at as attractive <laughs> or as you know something inspirational or, or something someone that we can actually like but i see a lot of this in hollywood movies and it's interesting that the disabled man still gets his chance on on screen and we still look at them and romantic movies are made about the the man in the wheelchair who you know happens to find that love of his life we don't see that a lot from the other way around you
1: know, so it's, it's interesting. It's really yeah, interesting. Actually, that's a very interesting thing. So I'll tell you, I do get a lot of questions from all around the world. And one question that particularly I've got from women who have been newly diagnosed with MS, saying that what about their future, their love life, their marriage? Can they ever marry someone? Will anybody mm. accept me? Mm. But. I have not got this question from a male anytime. Yeah. 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 I don't maybe, think so. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know why, but <laughs> maybe it's, um, yeah, the society.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. I think, I think you know, that privilege of just being born as a man, that really does help, you know, quite a lot. It really does help you in, in a lot of societies. And this is not just Eastern societies in general, Western societies too. I see a lot of it in these communities. Um, you know, the the female partner is more likely to to take on the role of the caretaker because women are seen as nurturing, as more patient, as they're you know they're able to mother you. Um, and with men, the idea of a man as a as a caretaker, I don't see a lot of that. You know, for the woman with disability. I see it on forums, the same questions, you know, um, should I leave my partner because she's been diagnosed and she can't take care of, of the house, she can't take care of the kids. I want to live a normal life. And this is a mom speaking in a, in a forum. It's really interesting. And I think, yes, definitely disabled women have it way worse and it's much more difficult. And again, not because of their lack of strength, not because of their, it's not them. It's really, the society is incredibly, incredibly uh, prejudiced. And and there's a lot of discrimination against women with disabilities and across everything. So not just MS.
1: That's very interesting. Actually, now you're opening a lot of thoughts with this um, answer that yes, women are discriminated in a different way, even with disabilities. We already know that women are discriminated in many other ways. Now, when it comes to disability, how they must be treated? How uh, so, what about the um, privileges given to the disabled people by the government? Are they available for women specifically or not? Is also a question. Now, there's a lot of things to ponder on. Yeah, absolutely okay um now uh, i also want to ask you this question about um you have said that in your opinion uh, no so you have spoken about the randomness of the disease so yeah. yeah um one second yes you have mentioned that the randomness of the disease this was really oh my god when i read this <laughs> Oh God, I have to read this. So the randomness of the disease was something I could not adjust to. It wasn't cancer, so I wasn't dying. It wasn't diabetes, which was something I had watched my father deal with and didn't stop him from functioning. And I had all my limbs. They hadn't been cut off in an accident. So what was this random disease? This random disability. This was, oh my God. I, you know, this is so rightly worded here. I'm sure these are the thoughts of many people, but they don't know how to express it. And you have so expressed it so well here. So when you talk about the randomness of disease, um, how did you overcome these negative thoughts while fighting with MS? Um, I
0: think I think the first question was um, not being able to see this randomness anywhere. So again, I hadn't seen it in front of me in in, you know, family members. I hadn't seen it on television. I've never seen MS represented anywhere, you know, on television, at least back then. Now I think there's a bit more representation, but generally I hadn't read about it. I hadn't seen it. I didn't understand how one day, you know, I would need to to use a cane and then or a wheelchair. And then the next day I'm going to the gym. I couldn't understand that. Um, So I think a big part of it was being able to label it,
1: mm-hmm.
0: to put a name to it. Because when you don't understand something, it's a monster. It, it, you're scared of it. You don't understand it. Um, so I think when I grabbed it and and labeled it as a random disability, so rather than a disability, I wanted to name it for what it was. It was a random disability. And actually, I coined that term, and I put it in a research paper. It was the first time it was called a random disability, uh, and then it was cited later on by other scholars. So it made me very happy that it was taken seriously as a term, random disability, because it really fell between invisible disability, permanent disability, you know, physical disability, yes. and I felt I got some sort of um, power by understanding it, awareness, as you said. So when I understood it, I felt like I was beginning to overcome it rather than Mm. the other way around. Um, You know, these thoughts were just constantly there drowning me all the time. And then when I started, you know, really thinking and reading and, and, you know, thinking about it in multiple ways, this idea of how can you live in such a body? Without it completely drowning you. And that's really when I started thinking about the randomness of it. And I began to accept that there's a lot of things in life, not just MS, that's actually quite random. Also, the good things, right? You know, like having this book published, quite random, really. So um, I think that's how it became a bit uh, more something I could accept. Um, so going from that, I, I think, sense of hopelessness and darkness to, to a bit more uh, empowerment.
1: Exactly. So you started seeing the positive, thing, positive things also in your life. Like exactly. it's not just a random disease, but also random good things that are happening in your life. Yeah, exactly. So um, so what is the lack of accept uh, Access was the societal barrier to disabled individual success. So yeah. what kind of accessibility have you spoken about? And I also read that in one of the sentences, someone had told you that you should carry something which mentions that I'm disabled Yeah, as yeah. a proof of disability. So about the accessibility that should be there for the people with disability?
0: I think, um, especially with MS, because it's something that you don't always see, so there tends to be a problem with access. So using a disabled parking, using a disabled um, um, toilets, um, uh, asking for a, a, you know, let's say a, a, a seat on the plane that is, is uh, you know, a bit more accessible. Um, saying, you know, I can't go to a physical conference. I would like it to be a virtual conference. It's easier for me not to have to travel. And all of these things that are about accessibility, about inclusion with MS or with an invisible disability, you have to prove it. There's a sense of, you know, society asking you to prove how real is a disability, how bad is a disability. Can't you walk from here to there? Come on, there are only 10 steps. So there's a lot of this, and it's so exhausting, again, more than the actual disease, that the people always, always ask you these questions, and they need you to, like I said, carry a sign, mm-hmm. or yeah. it. it's almost like they want to scan your insides, and they want to scan the inside of your brain to make sure that it fits their description of disability and access. Um, so again, this this is very much all about um, disbelief and, and not believing people when they ask for their needs and accessibility. It's, it's quite um, oppressive, actually. And yes. uh, you know I've had it happen to me multiple times. I get stopped in airports. I get stopped when I ask for um, a disabled parking. I have the right paperwork, but because they don't see a wheelchair, they that's, then that's all they see. That's all they understand. So it's, it's definitely lack of access, and it's, it's quite uh, tiring, really. Um, I usually stop and explain to people, but that in itself is a whole burden, right? When you have to stand there, you take another 10 minutes of your time to explain, okay, well, I don't look like I, I have a problem, but you know, not everybody who's standing and walking, it doesn't mean that we all can do what you can do. And the wheelchair is not the only symbol for, for, for disability or for MS. Yeah. So that's definitely a whole problem. Accessibility is, is I think, there needs to be a lot done all over the world, actually. It's it's happened to me in multiple parts of the world, not in one country and not the
1: next. It's it's almost everywhere. Everywhere, Absolutely. I've carried my AVENIX um, injections. And then the um in domestic as well as in the US abroad yeah. and everywhere I've been asked to you know show me show the prescription that why yeah. am I carrying what am I carrying a proof that I'm carrying and that is like oh my god yeah. so that is you know you have this thing in your head oh my god you're carrying injections people will ask people will ask people will see what's in the box yeah. in the ice box <laughs> oh then yeah. know it's an injection then why are you taking injection you have to tell that you have MS. So, yeah. so many things that goes on your mind by you're absolutely. traveling around the world. Yeah, that is so true, no matter where you are. Absolutely, yeah. Speaking about your health, so would you like to tell something about your current health? How are you doing now? Are you on any kind of medications? And yeah. how is life for you right now?
0: Um, well, to be honest, I'm you know taking a lot of supplements, like a lot of people with MS. I try everything. I have found uh, Pilates really works for me. And, uh, you know, I'd advise anybody who can do it, even if, you know, just a few movements, it really does help with the pain. It helps with the fatigue. It helps with uh, the muscle pain. You know, if I'm not doing it on a daily basis, definitely everything else becomes harder. Mm -hmm. Um, I've also uh, picked up uh, squash. That's a a new sport. And again, I'm not the best at it, but it's really good for cognition. And it's really good for some movement and with MS we tend to have slower reflexes so it's it's helping with reflex um, and I think a lot of this is when, when it comes to to people living with MS and like myself there's a bit of fear around what we can and cannot do. and there's also a fear about pushing your body too much but you know I've come to realize that you know as long as we try anything at all it really does make a difference Um, and I think you know we kind of have to be a little flexible and you know a bit more open-minded with with you know what we want to try and even if we fail you know I've tried so many things and failed at so many of them and again there's always a sense of you know what if one thing works and so I found these few little hacks few little techniques here and there and it's it's been it's been okay it's been okay And I think with MS you know every day is different you really never know so there's this sense of uh, can't really speak definitely about how things are at but uh, at the moment these are the things that are working and you know we just keep going
1: Absolutely. Never give up and keep your hope alive always. And just try working on yourself in every way you can. So who has been your biggest strength in the journey of MS? Well, I think definitely my mother I think maybe you picked that up from the book um,
0: and I think definitely my mother for me actually. Uh, she has never dealt with disability in her life or with her family's life or had a friend with disability or anything. but you know as as, as, uh, as a mother and I think as a supportive mother specifically, so she did all the reading. Um, she put herself in the, in, the, you know, in the research mode. She did as much reading as she could, and that's why I wish everybody had that. I think I had that privilege. Um, you know, support comes in various ways, and awareness comes in various ways, but the least people can do, especially our loved ones, is just to read, you know? And she didn't make me feel um, you know, even aware that she was doing the reading, I would find one brochure here. I would find one book here. It was very random, and you know, we never even spoke about it. But she was doing all she could to understand, and I think that's one thing we we really need. A lot of people ask, you know, what do you really need? What kind of support? I think that sense of understanding that's what really really helped me. Um, and I think she also really helped me understand, you know, my own limitations without taking away my power, which is a very hard balance to find. So I would say she didn't make things completely easier. Not at all. She would still make me do my own stuff. She would still make me try different you know, ways of uh, surviving. Um, but at the same time, that was enabling rather than disabling. So I always knew she would be there if I really needed the help but at the same time there was a sense of you try it on your own because what if I'm not there and you know how are you going to manage so I think that's a lot of strength that that uh, that she had that was passed on to me and I think that really really made the world of a difference and I wish everyone had that kind of support especially uh, with MS, you know, be it be it through a partner, through a husband, uh, you know, a sibling, um, to even a friend, a good friend that you know understands, doesn't have to be a parent. I think that sense of understanding and enabling was was really that balance that I needed, and that she put in the effort to understand rather than being told, please read please understand me, you know, I didn't have to request it. And I think that that makes a huge difference. Sometimes we, we get tired of asking for others to read and to understand. It, it can feel very exhausting. So I think, you know, out of her own goodwill and her own desire to understand, that's that's when things became really, really helpful.
1: That's beautiful. That's beautiful. That's how how parents are, you know. They do everything there for kids and when she came to know that you are suffering with MS at such a a young age of course she had to take the role and she had to really be the superwoman in your life and do everything for you, for your goodness. Well, and she has, I'm sure you know, done a lot, sacrificed a lot at end for you and Today, you are strong and powerful, and an inspiration to other people around the world. And who else can be more proud than her today? Yeah, what absolutely. Like this? That's absolutely. so beautiful. And uh, my last question to you today would be Who inspired you to write Head Above Water? Or what inspired you to write Head Above Water?
0: Well, I think, Ritu, because we don't see a lot of representation of MS or even illness and ill women or women struggling with illness. And that became something that was really, really exhausting for me. And because I teach literature, I teach stories, I teach drama, I teach uh, poetry, I teach a bunch of things. Not being able to find that representation was a very heavy weight on me. You know, I was getting really tired of it, and uh, I felt I needed to do something. And I felt, as you said, okay, now I have the power. You know, I have a position of privilege, and I'm aware of that privilege that many people may not have. So what do you do with power and privilege if you have a platform you use it exactly. and again you know I really felt like what am I doing in my life if I'm not doing anything about it I'm just gonna sit there and be sad about it and really upset about it I needed to use my voice my privilege as a teacher my privilege as someone who is you know with students most of the time with the younger generation I want to change society in one way or another so I felt like it's my role and what better way to do it than through writing? I've always loved writing, I've always written. And I thought, now it's time for, for these thoughts to, to, to be out in the world. And maybe, like you said, affect someone younger, affect someone going through the same thing, older, but still hasn't found some answers. I really, really wanted that to actually be something I contribute to the world, rather than you know, waiting for the world to change. You know, I, I wanted to do something about it. Just like your podcast, you know, it's 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 a privilege. It's a platform to have so many followers. So what are you going to do with those followers? What are we going to do when people are actually listening to us? Well, that's when we start using our voices and tell our stories. Otherwise, you you've really you haven't used that privilege. It's a privilege. It's not something that comes all the time. So when I finally started recognizing that, that's when I felt, okay, this is a time in my life where now, it's now or never. And so I think that's why Head Above Water came came to, came to life. And I'm so lucky that, and blessed really, that, you know, it got picked up by the perfect publisher, um, you know, by people who really wanted to make a difference in the world, uh, by people like yourself, readers like yourself who want to make a difference in what they do it makes a difference where the book goes. And I think because it's my intention behind the book that it does change lives. When it falls in the right hands, You know, people will pass it on to other people. And it, I hope that it does change something at some point in, in, in history.
1: Of course, I'm sure it will, and it will do wonders. This is not just a book. This is not a fictional book. It is about the life of people fighting with disability, fighting with illnesses, fighting with the the stigma of the society and much more. This is not just a book. It is, um, you can say, a help, a guide for people. And it is an awareness platform, I can say, that it's not only for the people with illnesses or disabilities to read, but everybody around the world to read this and know how people with disabilities deal with every day of their lives every day it's a difficult day of their life well thank you so much doctor it was such and such a pleasure having you here and thank you so much for this book it's really amazing head above water so everybody of you watching this here Please go go on to Amazon.com and order this book, Head Above Water by Dr. Shahed Alshmari. And she's amazing with MS. She's an MS warrior herself and she has written this book. So, so thank you so much, doctor, for being here. It's such an honor to be here.
0: It's it's such an honor to be amongst all these MS warriors, really, and I, I hope it falls the book falls in the right hands. Thank you for having me, and you know I hope that uh, you know we, we continue to have multiple sclerosis awareness, and we continue to have your platform and connect with each other, and everybody else who doesn't have MS. Still, it's always important, for, you know to to be supportive. We need able-bodied allies. We need people who want to support. So thank you
1: again for having me. I really appreciate you reading the book. Thank you. Thank you, Doctor. Have a good day. Thank you. Thank you, Warriors, for being with us. I hope you found this session useful. We will be back again next week with another informative session. So don't forget to subscribe and reserve. just Ten minutes for MS. No, you're not alone.